Hey, I'm Jana, the little sister. And I'm Jeff, her big brother. Welcome to Sibling Rivalry, a podcast about our favorite sport, baseball. This week on Sibling Rivalry Baseball, the stage is set. To be or not to be. Alas, poor York. He'll miss this week's SRBB headlines. University of Alabama's head football coach Nick Saban has tested positive for COVID-19. No players have tested positive and the team schedule is not affected. Angels catcher Max Stassi had hip surgery to repair a torn labrum. The injury was discovered through an MRI at the end of the season. Stassi's return is four to six months, so he may very well miss the beginning of the 2021 season. This is the second straight offseason Stassi has undergone hip surgery. San Diego Padres' Tommy Pham was involved in an altercation outside of a San Diego gentleman's club, which led to him being stabbed. His injuries are not life-threatening, and he is recovering after having surgery. Told you he was angry. For the first time since it started in 1949, the NFL Pro Bowl has been canceled due to COVID-19 and an abundance of caution. For the NFL, players will still be selected to the Pro Bowl team. You can find these and past week's headlines on our website, siblingrivalrybb.com. Remember to rate and subscribe wherever you listen and tell a friend to listen to the Sibling Rivalry Baseball Podcast. There is absolutely nothing like October baseball, and 2020 is no exception. More excitement, more intensity, more anxiety, more craziness. There's definitely something to be said about the expanded playoffs. Made for probably a better end to this season just because of the oddities of it all. It made it feel like a longer season. Of course, with the excitement and the craziness, both league championship series went a full seven games only the third time this has happened since the expansion of the playoffs in 1994 and both series had teams that had to come back from being three games down the way that these series went almost caused this show to have a much different tone yeah i was totally prepared to be really upset It was going to be disappointment, upset. We were even talking. The question came up that I believe we probably would have spent a lot of time on that we probably won't spend a lot of time on today is, is it better to make the playoffs and get eliminated before the World Series or to just not make it at all? Obviously for the players it's different, but as a fan, is it better if your team doesn't make it? I was feeling that way. And still a little, just depending on what <laughs> what happens. <laughs> yeah, I think it's easier for the fan. It's less heartache to say, yeah, okay, we'll get them next year. Seems a lot easier. <laughs> and especially with these two championship series, both going seven. I know I saw several different things, but to be a Dodgers fan in the postseason, your... Uh, consumption of Tums goes up and you really want to have a defibrillator nearby. I, I saw that the defibrillators, a lot of people talking about that right before the series started, they bought a big bottle of some sort of booze and they were ready <laughs> and they went like, I'm two games in, I'm already done with this supersized 55 gallon drum. This championship series could have been a lot worse because even if the Dodgers don't make it, we're not happy about that, but it could have been exponentially worse because the asterisks could have gotten in. They also played 
to a game seven. Yeah. And they came back from a three nothing. I was really thinking when Tampa Bay was up three to nothing. And I'm like, ah, oh, they finally got the memo that the twins didn't get. The A's obviously didn't read. They got think- it. And the twins, then, it wasn't out in time. The series right. is over before the the memo <laughs> yeah, could be distributed. Right. Yeah. Wasn't posted in time. Then I thought the thought of the asterisks actually maybe possibly being in the World Series. Well, obviously they're cheating. That's that was the. That's, That's another it. part that we would have gone a different direction on because the conspiracy theories would have flown. And honestly, I believe that if they made it to the World Series, Manfred was involved. Yeah, he helped them. My oldest uh, son, who is a casual, he'll come in usually to something about oh, baseball. Is this game over? But sometimes he gets into it because he knows enough about the teams. And he said, they're totally cheating. Why are they cheating? <laughs> I'm like, well, they're just standing there. You know? <laughs> they're, they're cheating. So even even everybody knows. They're even the casual, One, the even casual. Even the casual fan. boy. Yes. Who's more interested. Well aware. Right? Yeah. He's more he's, interested in video games and yeah. Bob's Burgers than he is. <laughs> That's exactly right. But he knows that they're cheating. All right. So let's take a look at the AL series before we get on with the Dodgers and, and the National Leagues. And a little bit later, we'll talk about the World Series matchups and go from there. Seven full games for the Rays and the Asterisks. Some interesting things. And one thing that I've learned by listening to the announcers, even though they'll call out, oh, he's having a bad game or whatever, they'll not look at it and say, oh, this is a bad bullpen or this is a bad this or they don't have anything here. They'll always make the better of it, even when that's not true. Or if they do go bad, they'll say they were really good in the regular season, but the postseason, they always seem to have an issue. There was a lot of bad and just just a little bit of good on both sides. There were things to step up and look at, but all of it, when you look down at the numbers and then you think back about the games, it seemed to me like there were more times that both teams were in a position to win and they blew it, had bases loaded and couldn't get anybody in. The bats went dead. It wasn't because the pitcher was just a wizard and was throwing stuff that nobody could hit. So let's start there. Your thoughts? Well, you know me. I'm not a fan of the Asterix. It's hard for me to watch them. And I used to like Dusty Baker, and now he's kind of on my list, too, of the Asterix. And I was very invested in the NLCS. But looking at the games, the... Rays, I think what really helped them win or get to where they they are is their defensive plays. I mean, you had Margot falling over the back of the into the I think it's a bullpen or <laughs> close to yeah, it. Yeah, is that the like the the ramp that goes down into the bullpen? Yeah. I think that was pretty and, incredible. And then 
infield snags that so hits that possibly would have been singles or doubles that would have gotten those guys on base the rays really came through in those moments and of course they have a guy named randy rosarina who i'm trying to figure out was a st louis cardinal and the cardinals didn't want him i mean they just said yeah you go to Tampa Bay. <laughs> they yeah, didn't you, know. You wonder what was happening <laughs> there, and he was on their postseason roster. Yeah, but he—I don't think he got to play. I don't think so either. And um, it makes you wonder what was it that they were okay with letting him go to. But that's one of the things about the Rays too, is other than. Their pitching staff, Charlie Morton, Blake Snell, Tyler Glass now. We know G-Man Choi. He was a former angel. But the rest of the guys, they're not household names. <laughs> Some of their names are really... What do you mean? Difficult. Kiermaier is not... It doesn't just roll off the tongue <laughs> as when you're sitting around the no. house. Going, I can't believe that Kiermaier guy. <laughs> or Zunino. Uh, yeah, they're not your typical baseball names, you know, that you always hear. But they're here, and they're on the big stage. The teams, a lot of time that win or go pretty far, tend to have these no-name guys on them that step up. And then not always do the teams that have the superstars make it. Right. Yeah, I mean, Tampa Bay, I think their payroll is like 28 in the league and so you gotta think okay you look at the yankees that's number one payroll they didn't make it and uh, the rays are there so you wonder who are gms are getting calls maybe from some owners <laughs> saying hey <laughs> what's going on here well you uh, know i just watched moneyball the other day and uh, yeah, and there's a lot of the the Rays, of course, they're an Andrew Friedman inspired team. I, I don't yes. know how much more of his influence is in there. And a lot of people are having parades for Kevin Cash <laughs> for being great manager, taking this team of essentially nobodies. You figure they have Blake Snell's really the one name that most people know because he won the Cy Young, had a great year last year. Right. Most people, until you saw them in the playoffs, or if you watched them at any other time, didn't know who Tyler Glass now was. True. Certainly didn't know who Randy uh, Rosarena was. No. Hey, one of the things that also with this series I that I noticed with the Rays, in every game, their leadoff hitter was different. Now, sometimes there would be a consecutive game where maybe you had the same leadoff hitter, and... That I wondered about because there's no, you're kind of Kevin Cash, like, okay, you're here, you're here. And a little bit of it reminded me of not the Dodgers this year, but Dodgers previous seasons where, okay, everyone plays different parts and we're going to just spin the wheel for the lineups for, you know, batting lineup. <laughs> To see how, you know, how it's going to go. Because if you look at the box, it's Brasso, 
might be up there. Maybe you have Meadow. Maybe you have Lau was there. And uh, those, you know, things you, you know, that stand out are the defensive plays, which were amazing. A lot of these guys, I mean, they just were snagging balls left and right. But then also the the lineup and how that worked um, overall. Obviously, it worked well because they won game seven. But how will that affect the World Series? But we'll be talking about that later. Since both teams went the full seven and they played seven in a row, which had never happened. It's not till the World Series that they'll actually have days off during the series. Did you like the not having those days off where it was just baseball all the time? I, I did enjoy it. I mean, obviously, from a like a scheduling standpoint, it's nice that there's not much that I have to go do, so I'm not going to miss out. Right. And the way that they scheduled them, the way the games were, the earlier game generally was over by the time the next game started. So it does take up a lot of your day. It's like work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, from that standpoint, I got to schedule out my day. Here it is. And the other thing is, is that they're on early enough. Although sometimes they'd go longer. It wasn't too bad as far as like being able to do something else a little bit later, watch another show or. Yeah. I like having that time. And I know this is sound Obviously, all the teams want to be in their home stadium. And probably because it's this year, I don't, I'm kind of liking Globe Life Field. You know, I'm not, it's still the grill because when they show shots of it, it still looks like when the roof is open, you know, that's the grill top is open. Right. But it's not as bad. I think it's camera angles. I think during the season, you got camera angles from the rangers feed because they have their cameras in certain places and they're being run by that so it's like um what do they call it the pool video yeah everybody gets off of the same feed and they had it so that the the backstop it just looked like a letterbox you have the top border and a bottom border so that they can do all their advertising so the choctaw casino isn't getting any love this time (laughs) And really, if you remember, there was one game that was on MLB, not on Fox during the uh, National League series. And they actually had that set up and it drove me up a wall. But Fox was smart enough to change camera angles and it makes it look different. Yeah, I guess that must be it. And it looks brighter in there when the Rangers were playing during the season. And maybe it was just because of the Rangers, but the lights (laughs) seemed dim. I think it's because the roof was closed. Yeah. I think with the roof being open, it's changed the way the light hits. When it's closed, you just have that one light. When it's open, the reflection of everything, because it's, you've got the dark sky behind it or a, or a different sky, not just the ceiling. I think that was a lot of it. Anyway, we'll get back to that. (laughs) This one down in San Diego, I, I have to say, I can't. I can't say I wouldn't be okay with uh, neutral locations in the future. Yeah, I think that's what I was getting at with Globe Life Field this time. But I'm thinking in the future, maybe it would, maybe it'd be okay. It just because it adds that extra something to the series. Because even though you know the same thing in San, well in San Diego. You know, one team was home 
and one team was away and then they would flip flop it. It was interesting because depending on the team, sometimes you didn't hear very much background, you know, or crowd or, you know, music and things like that. And as a Dodger fan, you're used to hearing all of that. That's part of the whole experience. And there's games where it was just, you were just at the ball game and all you heard was the sounds of the game, which is good. You know, I like hearing the sounds and I like being able to hear the umpire more clearly. Sometimes you get to hear those conversations going on at home play or first base in some cases. So that was was a cool part. I noticed that immediately being able to hear the umpire. No, that's ball. Or inside. And that, that was pretty cool. I think I would be fine with that. And I think they could handle it just like they do with like college football. Bowl games. Oh, yeah. Each, each team is allotted a number of tickets. The first two games, 60% to the home team, 40% to the visitors. The next two games, swap it so that everybody would get that home field advantage with the extra tickets. Something like that. Anyway, yeah, that's uh, definitely something we need to submit to a new commissioner down the road. For now, we'll take a look at this series. As we talked about for the Rays, Randy Arozarena was the MVP of the ALCS, hit 321, nine hits, six runs, four home runs. Get this, he hit seven home runs in the season, and through the playoffs, he has hit seven home runs. Yeah. And he's not done yet. Presumably, he could hit more. I'm hoping just maybe one more. At the most, he's a rookie and he just took over in the playoffs and he's been their driving force. He's been their big Yeah. And he's been the one that has gotten the guys going. Yeah. He's the fourth rookie and the first rookie position player to be named MVP of a league championship series. I also saw that he has a, an affinity for cowboy boots. So we'll see how that works out in, in Texas for oh, him. He's, he's going to fit right, right in. Yeah. But yeah, these guys, um, like I was saying, up and down the lineup, it wasn't, you know, it went seven games. But yeah, there were a lot of times where bases were loaded and they couldn't do anything. They couldn't get a run across. It wasn't, obviously, because it was seven games, it wasn't lights out, but with... Tampa Bay, they're scrappy. And especially with their, with all of their names, they just kind of fit in. They're the guys that are like, where did this guy come from? I mean, some of them, you know, you hear Meadows, Austin Meadows is probably a name, you know, people would know. But overall, they're not a team, especially versus the team they were playing against. Obviously, the Asterisks have their own issues, but even these guys who normally have, they'll say, oh, well, Bregman, you know, October is his time. Well, is it really his time? Because this time he went like 143 batting average, no extra base hits, no RBIs. Again, He he had four hits, struck out five times, and scored zero runs. Yeah. Bregman had a bad series. Carlos Correa, who was a key reason they beat the A's, 
was a key reason they didn't beat the Rays because he didn't have a very good series. Yeah. You know, he had, he hit two home runs. He did have seven hits, but he struck out seven times. And when he did get a hit, he acted like he had just won the game. Yeah. The, the one guy who, and this is kind of funny because from one side of it with the asterisks, you saw this guy and everybody started talking about Altuve having a case of the yips. Your favorite, Sweetie Stevie. Yeah. Even said, I feel bad for him because he understood. He could relate to him. He had a case of the yips as well. Yep. But Altuve did not have a case of the yips with the bat. He was pretty much in a slump all season. And in, in this series here, 12 hits. Scored six runs, hit three home runs, off home run in a couple of games, batted 462, five RBIs, was on base percentage of 563. He was on fire and they really have him to thank for getting where they got. Which is probably why at the end of game seven, Brantley, uh, Michael Brantley, they were on the top steps and Altuve looked, you know, like his little kid. It was, and he had his arm around him, you know, consoling him like, yeah, you did everything you could, at least at the plate. And of course, my son saw that and said, yeah, he's probably like, it's okay. You know, we can cheat next time. He looks like he, there were so many times where he made an error or whatever. And you show him, especially that one game where in that one inning, he threw the ball away like three times. Yeah. And when you looked at him. I know he's in his head thinking, what's going on? He looked like he was ready to cry. He was just going to break down and and let it all out right there. Maybe he should have gone in the dugout and done that. That might have released whatever. Because he was really having a hard time out there. He never got to a point that I felt sorry for him. Yeah, no, I don't know that that ever will happen. (laughs) (laughs) But he's the main reason that they carried on. Springer and Correa, both. Five RBIs each. They both had two home runs. They both had seven hits, but Correa struck out seven times. Michael Brantley showed to be a consistent guy. He's always consistent. And you wonder too, Dusty Baker has a losing streak, I guess, going into postseason. Hasn't been able to get past. You saw that happen when he was with the Nationals, but it's okay. He can continue that streak with the asterisks yeah, as long as with the asterisks sorry dusty so they they put together some good runs they took advantage of bad pitching at times of the rays their pitching had its moment zach grinky i think stood out as probably one of the best performances overall because he really shut down the rays more than the rays just didn't hit he had a pretty good outing when uh, six innings, only gave up two runs, struck out seven. Urquidy pitched pretty well in his second outing. He, he pitched twice. He came in in relief, and then he started a game. He didn't look too bad uh, over two games. Seven innings pitched, three hits, two runs, six strikeouts. McCullers lost both the games he pitched. He had his moments. He looked all right. I mean, he did strike out 18 over the two games that he pitched, so that's not too bad. Gave up seven runs. Fromber Valdez, I think, is really their ace, especially yeah. with no Verlander. Right. I was just going to mention, when you look at their pitching staff, you know, Granke is going to stand out. Um, and he's pretty consistent. I mean, he's 
not flashy. He doesn't. He's one of the guys that likes not having fans, doesn't like to be bothered with the whole, that whole scene. So he just comes in, does his job, and that's it. But yeah, Verlander's out, and he's out, you know, next season. And you've got all these rookies coming in that, you know, have done a decent job. I mean, they got to the ALCS, but yeah, they don't have anybody that's really, you know, when you look at like a one, two, three, they don't have that. Coming out of the bullpen, Ryan Presley, Brooks Rayleigh. Those were the two guys that seemed to be able to shut things down. That's why there was stranded runners in a couple of situations because they came in, shut it down. Enoli Paradis and then Christian Javier overall were the least effective. Javier did have an inning when he came in and just looked lights out. But overall, that was the thing. The, the pitching, well, everybody talked about now Houston's bullpen was weaker in all of these series. We found more and more that the most important part of any of these teams was the bullpen. The bullpen figured in mightily in every single game of both series. Yeah, definitely. And that's the one thing coming in too, when we talk about no days off and, you know, when you have a day off, it gives those guys in the bullpen, you know, some rest, but this time they didn't have any days off. So how does that affect the arms? How do you utilize the guys in the bullpen that becomes an even bigger issue than who's leading off in the lineup. Tampa Bay, their pitching looked about the same. Charlie Morton was the standout. Won both the games that he pitched, gave up no runs with the seven hits, struck out 11. Blake Snell went two games, 3.0 ERA. He gave up three runs, nine hits. You look at the numbers, it sounds better than he looked at times. He wasn't the ace that you expected. And he has had problems throughout the playoffs. The other one that it's interesting that gets a lot of praise. He doesn't pitch as great as they talk about him pitching is Tyler Glass now. Yeah. Probably of the starters, he had one of the worst outings. He got the L in game four. Zach Grinke played, pitched really well. Tyler Glass now in that game, he did go six, but he gave up four runs on eight hits, only struck out five. And you would think he has that Randy Johnson size, but he doesn't have the Randy Johnson attitude. No, I don't think there are very many people who have that attitude. <laughs> Probably not, but he doesn't, when you see him, he's pitching, he seems... He's, he looks like he's good, but I feel like there's a competitive edge missing to him. Yarbrough had a pretty decent game. Uh, Ryan did that. He was the winner of game three. And then they went on that skid three in a row. Game four, it started out like you thought they were going to take it. And then it just, the wheels fell off the best. Glass now did not come through like he should have. Out of their bullpen, their bullpen overall wasn't bad. Probably the two guys that were least effective were Shane McClanahan and Nick Anderson. Both high ERAs, gave up a lot of runs in a short amount of time, and they just didn't have it. Luckily for us, they came out strong in game seven. The Rays did put it to them. Willie Adamas, when you look at his numbers, if you just look at the basics, it looks like he just had a 
so-so series. If he batted mid-200s. But then you look at his on-base percentage. He had the highest on-base percentage of any of the Rays at 444. Because he walked nine times. So he was setting the table for somebody else constantly. Great defense. That's the one thing that that this team had more than the Asterix ever did was defense. The infield seemed like to be like vacuum cleaners. Anything that came their way, they sucked it up and went. They don't yeah. make error. Didn't matter who was at first base. They dug every ball out. Their catchers didn't let a lot of balls get away from them. They're going to be tough from that standpoint defensively for sure. I'm not sure, and we'll talk more about how things match up in a little bit, How, but how they completely match up for the World Series, how this will all even out for them, and if they have any advantages versus the Dodgers. It's time for Dodger baseball. Great googly moogly. The Dodgers really put Dodger fans through the ringer. And they didn't, I don't know if it's better that the front end to make me think that the world was coming to an end and then went, <laughs> just kidding. Or if it would have been better if maybe they would have just one and one, 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 three, five, and seven. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That It's crazy how this series went and how many times you wanted to turn it off or did turn it off or threw your hat on the ground and jumped up and down on it or cursed out somebody. One guy though was not cursing about either team. And that was Dan rather Dan rather the old newsman tweeted after the series was over. Congratulations to the Dodgers edging out the talented Braves in a heck of a game seven. Since I had no rooting interest, I could sit in awe at the beauty of this beautiful game that mirrors something. I don't remember if we mentioned it before, but like watching the Braves and the Marlins watching the Rays and the Yankees, you could sit back and enjoy the game because you didn't have a rooting interest in that game. A lot of the American league games, I wouldn't have had a rooting interest if the asterisks hadn't made it because <laughs> the angels weren't there, but I constantly had to be involved to root against the asterisks. Yes, that is so important. Always disappointed up until game seven of the ALCS. Yes, but now with thank the NLCS, you, And I said this all along. They need to just sweep all the way through so that there's no issues with the pitching staff playing seven days in a row. Like we talked about before, we learned, especially in this series for both teams, that the bullpen turned out to be far more important than any of the starters. Yes. I think in the first game, you know, when you look at the starters, just thinking of the starters in that first game, you see and you saw why Max Fried is a Cy Young candidate. He was on point and, you know, he limited the Dodgers in that first game to four hits, one run and nine strikeouts over six innings. Uh, Kike Hernandez's home run in that game was the only run that he gave up. And the offensively in that first game, the Dodgers were four for 31. And it's like, who are these guys? And who it's not like replaced them. We've been robbed and we were replaced with the pod people. It was invasion yes. of the body snatchers. 
and it's not like they were getting beat and it just became, you know, a struggle because Walker Bueller had one of his better outings of the whole season, not just right. the playoffs. He made, he threw five innings, only gave up one run as well and struck out seven. So he had a very similar outing to Max Free. If you just look at the score, you're like, well, you know, that wasn't good. Walker Bueller didn't have a good game. But when you look at the box score, it tells a different story. And unfortunately for Walker Bueller, as you mentioned, it wasn't bad. He had seven strikeouts, which he normally has in postseason. He strikes out seven or more. But for Walker Bueller, the only thing that was trending was his pants. Right. Well, that's what happens when you lose. At Hey, any pub is good pub. Isn't that <laughs> what they say? That's true. Well, he didn't really like it because he did get asked about it. He I left. think the person who loved it the most was Trevor Bauer on Twitter. <laughs> loved that that was trending. Bueller's pants. Yeah. Bueller's pants. The one question is still, why does Jocelyn look like I should be tossing him a gold piece to go buy a Christmas goose so I can take it to Tiny Tim and family? <laughs> I or or flip him. Flip him a, a nickel for a newspaper on a corner somewhere. <laughs> extra, extra. Because he looked like he was wearing knickers out there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I Every time you, they just stand out. But okay. So, yeah. So the Dodgers had some wardrobe issues <laughs> with this. But in game one, you had Walker Bueller on the mound. Max Fried was great for Atlanta. And their bullpen came in and were lights out. But Dodgers bullpen, Blake Trinan, gave up three hits, three runs, and a home run. Jake McGee, a hit and a run. The run he gave up was a home run. Did not look good that first game. And a lot of Dodger fans are fatalist, I guess. <laughs> you know, that yeah. first game, <laughs> that's it. I'm never watching another game and we need to fire this guy and get rid of this guy. Now, game two, the Dodgers lost, but they lost eight to seven and it was still an L, but I felt energized after that game because the offense woke up. I agreed with you and with Blanca. Because she was like, hey, look, they, they only lost by run one and they, they came back. And I think that uh, Planet Head and I both said the same thing. I was like, why didn't they do that in an inning earlier? That's so they really had, needed to do that. They had time. And I was okay with at the end of that game with AJ Pollock coming up because he'd come through quite a bit this season. Of course, it didn't happen. From the idea of energizing, I'm still kind of sitting on the fence with it because it's at the end of the game. So I'm thinking, I don't know. It could. I hope it does because they seem sluggish until then. But they felt like the the high-powered offense, if you've not really watched the Dodgers, you would say, what's all the fuss about after game one and most of game two? For the first six innings, it was seven to nothing. Right. And again, it was the pod people. They had not only were the pod people there, Kershaw wasn't on the mound. 
and he was supposed to be on the mound for game two. Right. We find out he had last back spasms. Minute, last which... minute scratch. And Tony Gonsolin, who had not pitched in any of the games thus far, gets the start going against another rookie, Ian Anderson, who, yep. while he only threw four innings, didn't give up any runs. He struck out five for Ian Anderson. He looked dominating. And I think that he was helped by the pod people to look as dominating as he did. He did pitch yeah, great. They could, I'm not going to take that away from him. Yeah, he pitched well. He probably looked better because the uh, pod people <laughs> were in right. the batter's box. So, But Tony but, Gonsolin, yeah, I mean, he came in to pitch, and I think it was September 26th, I think the last time he had pitched. Full game, yes. Once again, the Dodgers bullpen Baez came in, one hit, one run. Okay, you know, not bad. Alex Wood with two hits, one run. And Adam Kalarik, who normally is, you know, pretty much one, two, three. Guy has done really well, but this postseason, he doesn't look comfortable. He pitched one inning. There were three hits, one run, home run, and... That was it. And two, when we look at the Dodgers, we've talked about this before, but this was especially glaring was who is the closer? Because Kinley Jansen is not in that role um, at this point. Well, I maybe has a foot in the door. We know if they had started it in the eighth, that rally, what potentially could have happened in the ninth based on what happened in the first inning of game three. Yeah, game three was unbelievable. First inning, the Dodgers were up for 32 minutes and they scored 11 runs. Max Muncy hit a grand slam. It was crazy. I mean, you had Jock Peterson hit a home run. Edwin Rios... It was just unbelievable. And yeah, if they had had that spark uh, inning earlier in game two, we would have seen maybe a 1-1 instead of two to nothing with the Dodgers. Julio Urias, he came in, he pitched five innings, had three hits, one run, two walks, two strikeouts, did give up a home run. That was... Those in a home run, and that was it. Kinley Jansen came in, pitched the sixth inning, felt good about that because it's like, okay, we've got enough runs that we should be okay, <laughs> even if but, he goes off the rails. Yeah, we have enough of a uh, buffer, pretty much enough of a buffer. But it was again Adam Kalarik, he closed it up and he gave up three hits and two runs. But like you said, it was 15 to three, was the final score. So yeah, that buffer was was good. Now, after it was like exciting. It was like, wow, this is this is great. But going into game four, I thought maybe they have a hangover. Maybe <laughs> it's not, you know, this may not be good. And in fact, game four was so frustrating for me. It was five to one. I was watching the game in the bedroom. Planet Head came in and I, he was watching the game with me. 
And I, I don't even know what the play was. I think one of the guys probably grounded out and I said, the Dodgers are going to lose. I can't watch this anymore. And I came out in the living room and hung out in the living room and there was an opportunity. I went back in, the game was still on and I think they had guys on first and second and I don't even remember who was up, but again, they left them stranded And it was just frustrating because in game two, they lost, but you saw the offense come alive. Game three, the offense exploded. And then in game four, the Braves had this rookie, Bryce Wilson, who comes out of nowhere, shuts the Dodgers down and made me turn the game off because I was just, I just couldn't put myself through that game. I couldn't do it. It was definitely a tough one. And yeah, you're definitely asking three questions. Who's Bryce Wilson? Why is Bryce spelled with an S? I wondered And that. who's the obnoxious lady in the stands who looks like she's chewing out? She's like, you know, those videos where they're like, oh, a Karen goes off videos that have yeah. been out this year. Yeah. She looked like that. She had her mask pulled down. She's yelling, you can see the spit. You could see it yeah. just going all over the place. And that was the wind game. It was the wind game and it was Kershaw day. I brought up a little bit ago about people. They're having a bad series. Now they don't pitch well in the, this is where Kershaw always choked. Yeah. I don't think so. And I want to defend him. I've seen him pitch poorly in the playoffs. He's been part of all eight national league West division winners. He pitched five innings. He did give up four runs. He did give up a home run. He did only strike out four, which is unusual for him. Yeah. But for five innings, he was great. In the sixth inning, first guy up, Ronald Acuna Jr., ends up with a infield single technically and ends up at second because of an error. Then back-to-back doubles. Now, had Acuna been thrown out, or not allowed to get to second base, that could have changed everything. That's where where it fell off. But he pitched five good innings. So it's not like he was shaky and Dave Roberts didn't take him out. He had a, a pretty good outing. He didn't choke. You've got to give Atlanta credit. They're a good team. They hit well. And the yeah, guys and- that were hitting that were Freddie Freeman, Marcelo Zuna. Acuna Jr. had not a great playoffs at all. Overall, he nope. was just, he was good defensively, but offensively throughout, he was not what he has been in the past. Yeah, and in this game, he was two for four. That's probably his better game of all of the games. He is one of those guys that that's first and he, you know, top of the lineup, he gets on base and the Braves need him to get on base because he provides that excitement for them. It gets their dugout going. You could see the guys, you know, kind of waking up. Really high um, energy. Just watch yeah, when almost. something happens. He's sitting like in a spot whenever something's about to happen. He's up high so he can jump over the railing. He looks like yeah. he's going to dunk a basketball. He's so high up. I kept waiting for him to land wrong and twist something. With the Dodgers in that inning, Clayton was out there. And should he have pitched to Ozuna? Ozuna hit a, hit a home run off of him, you know, should, and then he hit a double. Did he go two batters too long? Yeah, but the way I he looked, know. I don't think that this no. was one of those times where you could clearly see that he should come out. Right. I agree with that. I think, you know, he looked good. So he did, wasn't a bad, it wasn't a bad outing. 
Um, Gratterall, Gratterall oh. follows up and gives up three runs in just a third of an inning. So he only got yeah. one out. He uh, came McGee, out. Just... McGee and Gonzalez both gave up no runs. There was five pitchers in this game. And so this momentum you thought of a 15 to three victory in game three comes into this. The wind is couldn't figure out what's the point in having a retractable roof if you're not going to close it when you have bad weather. And apparently a cold front had come in. All the Dodgers were wearing heavy jackets, or at least the coaches <laughs> were anyway. Yeah, it was probably like, you know, 60. Right. That's freezing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so it didn't carry over. The wind didn't help. We had wondered why the, the roof was open. Didn't know if it had something to do with local guidelines because there are real fans in the stands. We didn't talk about that. This is the first year where there were actual fans. Yeah. So I checked. There's no guidelines there about having people indoors. Just a certain percentage can be there. That was it. I think you found out about why the roof was open, even though it should have been closed. Yeah. So during the regular season, the Rangers hate whether that roof is open or closed. During the postseason, it's MLB. And because there are fans there now in Texas, you can have 50% capacity at stadiums. And they felt that having the roof open was better because the fans were there and COVID and th instead of having recirculated air, they had that air, but it was real whip. I mean, you could see Kershaw on the mound in his, you know, uniform. You, it was just the sleeves hair were flapping and, and uniform. Yeah. And the guys, uh, Freddie Freeman, he had trouble seeing the ball at the plate, at least in that first, you know, when they started off. Uh, Max Muncie, they were all. It held the ball up going out of right field. There was home runs there, but they were to left. There was more of a swirling wind. It really just looked uncomfortable to be out there. And if it's cold too, on top of it, and you're not used to doing that. And my whole time is like, close the daggone roof. Yeah, it takes I mean, 10 I think it was worse minutes. with Bryce Wilson's mom spitting all over the place that if <laughs> she, with her mask down, that the wind's blowing all her spittle around, she was a super spreader all by herself right there, <laughs> potentially. I don't want to yeah. start any rumors that Bryce Wilson's mom has COVID. No, but she was, I was trying to figure out, because even Planet Head was like, who is that woman? And I said, oh, well, that's the pitcher's mom. I just like, like, oh, well, who is she mad rabid, at? She's a rabid Braves fan is what I said. But <laughs> yeah. once I thought it was the mom, I was like, oh, oh, who yeah. is she mad at? Right. Yeah, well, he's like, who's she mad at? And I'm like, I don't know. Her, her son is pitching well. Or maybe she was upset because she found out that Bryce really should be spelled with a C and not an S. They're making fun of him because he's got that. <laughs> I don't know. So game four was a big letdown. There was a lot of things that happened, but it wasn't a great game per se, unless you're a Braves fan. Braves walk away from that 10 to two. And then in game five, it looked like this was going to continue on. And in fact, for the first part of the game, it was almost, I think a lot of people to resign themselves to the fact that this is probably done. Yeah. AJ Minter, it was a bullpen game. AJ Minter, bullpen, you know, he's a reliever, comes in and looks like Cy Young. He looked yeah. like Sandy Koufax. He looked like any great pitcher, Bob Gibson, any of these pitchers that we've talked about in the past. He looked like Shane Bieber this year. Yeah. Regular season Shane Bieber. 
So he comes in, he starts off the game, he only throws three innings, strikes out seven, gives up no runs. Another weird outing management-wise for Dustin May, I think. Gonzalez, uh, Dustin gave up two runs. Gonzalez gave up a run. They used seven pitchers, so it was basically a bullpen game for both sides. My favorite moment of this game, though, obviously is when it turned so that it was less of oh my God, it's over to wait, we might have a chance. Right. Was when the Dodgers version of Will Smith and the Braves version of Will Smith went against each other and the Dodgers version won because he hit a home run. Yes. Now, in before that classic, that matchup, you know, I am, who is, you know, who's going to get the tie am legend and it was the Fresh Prince was Max Muncie getting the walk to get him on base, which then that great, I mean, Will Smith was, he worked the count. It was, he was 0 and 2. You got to go back to back because Max worked it to get that walk, which was probably the turning point in the game, really. Yeah. And then for Will Smith to do the same and then hit a home run, off of Will Smith, which I have to say, Joe Buck and John Smoltz were the announcers for this game. Correct me, but I'm pretty sure that Will Smith, Dodgers Will Smith, his parents were probably surprised when Joe Buck said that Will Smith on the mound was the namesake for Will Smith at the plate. Wow. Yeah, that yeah, okay. I thought. I don't Unless he think was just trying so. to joke around like, uh, okay. Well, there were, yeah, <laughs> that stuck out to me cuz I'm, I'm, I'm like, call, uh, I don't whoever think so. Whoever did the research on that one, you're fired. <laughs> yeah. That was wrong. He hit a home run off of his namesake. But So so the Dodgers overcome the previous game and take out the Braves seven to three. I do want to mention in this game, and this is something that we'll see again by the Braves that also is a turning point, is in this game, Mookie Betts made a catch that was phenomenal. And Marcel Ozuna was on third base and he broke too soon. And it was a double play basically with Mookie's catch was an out. And then Marcelo Zuna leaving too soon. The only way Ozuna could beat that because he does beat the throw in. Yeah. Is to have left early. Cause if you, you remember Mookie's running in on the ball. Yeah. He caught yep. the ball low, came up and he did have a little bit of a transfer issue. If he hadn't had that, he definitely would have got Ozuna, but it wasn't as close as that sounds, but he had forward momentum. So when he threw the ball, he got there quick. If Ozuna had fully tagged up, and obviously in the replay and the challenge, it showed he was a good foot or two off of the bag when he started to. He had gone back to the bag and then came back off of it before the catch. And you right. have to you, you have to tag up and then leave after the ball's been caught, not when it's in the process of being caught. It has to be fully seated in that glove before you can go. It was clear that he didn't do that. And that made that made a big difference. 
I think yeah. there's a couple of major defensive plays. There's another, Mookie had another play where he denied a home run in another game. That stands out. And then there's another one we'll talk about in game seven. Uh, so game five, they win. Game six, another matchup between Walker Bueller and Max Freed. About the same, only that Max Freed, six and a two thirds, gave up three runs, only struck out five. Walker, on the other hand, uh, went six innings, didn't give up any runs. Yeah, it's the Walker that you want to see every time on the mound. (laughs) Well, when you think about it, he pitched two games in the series. He had a 0.82 ERA, only gave up one run. That was in game one. The only run, this was a three to one victory. The only run given up in this one was by Blake Trinan. Yeah. Uh, Walker Bueller, there was a time too where the Braves had loaded the bases. And I think that was in the second. And you thought, oh man, I mean, he allowed three consecutive singles. And it's like, okay, it's going to break open. And he went on, he struck out Austin Riley. He struck out uh, Nick Marcakis and then Christian Pache grounded out to get out of that inning. And I think for him, that was big. It was big for everyone, but especially for him because the confidence that he had going into that by giving up those singles and then to come back and strike out two and have a guy ground out was really huge momentum-wise going forward in the game. With the exception of that, a lot of that game was pretty basic. Three it to was, one, I mean, not a lot of action. There were some little things here and there where you might say, Ooh, I got to pay attention to this because, but it didn't, it didn't, uh, for both sides, there were a lot of, I don't even, I don't even think there was a lot of missed opportunities other than that bases loaded in the second. For the most part, there was a base here, base hit here, base hit there. It wasn't anything huge. Game seven, on the other hand, is where it really got exciting. Obviously, we're down to the point that the previous six games mean nothing now. Yeah, one game all, that's it. It rides on this game. When it began, I was not feeling good. Not feeling good. I'm not feeling confident about what was going to happen. Why? And, well, Dustin May was on the mound again. He pitched one inning, but his first two batters straight walks. Oh, yeah. Eight straight pitches. <laughs> right. Two walks. We already look like we're in trouble. And remember, this is the ultimate elimination game. You're not going to live to play again tomorrow unless you win. Was already suspect about Dustin May pitching because it didn't seem like they used him the way that he was used throughout the season. I didn't feel like he ever got a chance to really get into any grooves. I don't think he ever looked particularly bad. I think it opened up a lot of discussion about is Dave Roberts mismanaging his pitching staff again. During the season, Dustin May looked good as a starter. And I think it was usually slotted in, you know, maybe a number three starter. Now in the postseason, you're scratching your head because you're trying to figure out, okay, if he's only coming in in this game, game seven, he pitched one inning, he had one hit, one run, uh, one earned run, two walks, which were those first two, and one strikeout. But that's all he pitched. He pitched one inning. And it was like, 
you know, what's going on? Why did you even run him out there if he wasn't going to go more than just one inning? And then you had Tony Gonsolin, who has also looked really well again during the season, back and forth. I think, you know, I said Dustin May was maybe a number three starter. Tony Gonsolin kind of fits in that role to, you know, three or four. And he comes out. And he pitches two innings. He gives up two hits, two runs, had three walks, one strikeout, one home run. Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin, who during the season looked really good, had carried a heavy load a lot of the season. They did. And this, these three innings that they, they pitched were not good. For either of them, they didn't look good, didn't look settled, just Tony Gonsolin couldn't find, you know, it seemed like he just couldn't find the zone. So yeah, a lot of people, a bit, especially at that beginning of the game, and that's why I was feeling really uncertain about what was going to happen, is because you're thinking, all right, we got Dustin May, but he goes one inning. We got Tony Gonsolin, he goes two innings. Who's going to come in where is this thing going to go? In the first part of it, it's 2 nothing within the first two innings. Ian Anderson back on the mound, which made this a pretty incredible game because you had two rookies going after one another in an elimination game, seven. And I think this is the first time that two rookies, there's been rookies who have pitched elimination games or game sevens in the past, but not two at the same time. He goes three innings and gives up two runs. So when he's out, the score is tied two to two or no, sorry. When he goes out, it's three to two because Gonson gives up the other run. So at that point, and it kind of sits there at three to two for a little while, while you're like, what's going to happen? Is this how it's going to be? You're not seeing the bats. Oh no, we've gone cold again. Yeah. And they bring in AJ Minter, the hero of game five. Even though they lost, he really looked good. And he proceeds to give up a home run to Kike. So it's a whole, it's tied now. You're at 3 3. And the Dodgers counter with another one. This group, even though been around an extra couple of seasons, Julio Urias comes in. Now, if you remember, he started that blowout game in game three. And there was a lot of conversation about was it a good idea to let him pitch five innings in a essentially a meaningless game? From the pitching standpoint, you have a huge lead. Why? And obviously you couldn't take him out. He hadn't even been on the mound yet. He's already up by 11. He's got a cushion to pitch with. A lot of people are like, they should have just done his three hitters and then call a day. So that way he's saved for the rest. Well, all those people who thought that was the case thought about it, thought, well, okay, that makes sense. We were all wrong because Julio came in and threw the same amount of innings that May and Gonsolin did. Only his three were perfect. No yeah. runs, no hits, no walks, no errors, nothing. He had perfect three innings and really brought the game home. Because of him, they end up winning this game. He was the final three. Blake Trinan threw two before that. So they had five straight perfect innings after the original two left the game. All the speculation at the end of this game was that Julio would probably go too, and Kinley was up throwing in the bullpen in the ninth. Now, by this point, the only thing that had to happen was to tie the game. And while most people would say this was the play of the game, when Chris Martin of the Braves 
in a hurry to get back to record a new Coldplay album. Gives up this home run to Cody, Monster Jack, that Cody admired as he should have. And had it been Ronald Acuna Jr., I'd have been cussing at the TV. But it was Cody, and I was like, yeah, you do that, Cody. Bat flip, bat flip. Do all the annoying things that other guys do that I don't think are annoying when you do it. And they get that 4-3 lead, but that's not even the play of the game because Atlanta was in a position to break this game open, but a pretty good defensive play. Who am I kidding? An awesome defensive play was about to happen. Yeah, so we have Mookie Betts, right field. Fences in our it Globe Life Field. One is like eight feet and the other one's like six feet. And Mookie Betts has been phenomenal. He had got, he took away a possible home run or at least an extra base hit from Marcelo Zuna leaping up to grab a catch. He had the run that we talked about with the Ozuna base running air where he got that because he was running in and caught it. This one was absolutely amazing. Freddie Freeman at the plate. The ball is, it's gone. You think it's over, it's gone. And Mookie Betts brings up his Dodger glove, that blue and white striped glove, and robs Freddie Freeman of a home run. It was amazing. That was an incredible play, but that's not the one I'm talking about. <laughs> the play of the game. This changed everything. Justin Turner, I know. ball hit to him. He goes home to get the runner from third in a rundown. It was second and third. So the runner off of third's in a rundown. Doesn't do a very good job. It was uh, Dansby Swanson was in the rundown. So they get him blocked, and it normally it, it takes a while, and the runner will move so that the will will stay in it long enough so that the runner from second can get to third. Whoever's in the rundown is going to stay there long enough so if there's other players on, can move up. In this case, he made an error in judgment on the ball. Justin Turner stretches out, tags Swanson, spins, throws to third, and the runner coming from second is tagged out. Double play, pretty amazing. And right there, that cut off the legs of the Braves, at least in that inning, trying to score. And it was the most heads-up play, because a lot of times you get one, but you won't get the other one. But Justin not only got him stretched fully out, everybody's putting Superman memes up with him (laughs) stretched out and a cape on. This was an incredible heads-up play. It really Mookie is. saved the game. That's there's no doubt about that. But this one changed because this one was more demoralizing. Yeah, that really was a game changer. You saw JT. He um, tagged him. I think it's on the calf for him to be fully stretched out, tag the runner, pivot himself to throw to third with Corey Seager being perfectly placed to get that double play, huge game changer, really good third baseman head and really smart because 
a lot of, you know, like you said, a lot of guys, you'd probably go one, but not get the two or right, even gonna, be aware. That's the bigger thing. He was fully aware of what was going on and knew he was going to make it happen. And if he hadn't, it still would have been a pretty incredible play. But the fact that he did get it there and they got that out made it exponentially. So well, the Dodgers season- go on because of this defense. They go on to win this game because of those plays. Mookie's, you know, stopping that home run obviously played a big part because that changes the complexion of the game then too. But this one really put the brakes on anything the Braves were doing. Yeah, and again, we saw throughout the series base running errors by the Braves that really did momentum because when you have those type of defensive plays, you see the light is still out there. You know, you can still see light at the end of the tunnel. This is not over. That was really huge in the dugout. And we can say the same for the Braves in their uh, 10 to 2 uh, win where Max Muncy and made the air. I think they probably, I think it was maybe Kike Hernandez that they probably gave the air to, but ultimately the ball went into the dugout. That's Max's responsibility. That gave Ronald Acuna Jr.'s the ability to take second base because of that. And then Marcelo Zuna, I think at that point, hit a double. So those type of things where you have those, you know, it could be a small, it could be a base air, you know, it could be a throwing air, it could be base running air. Those really can shift the tide in a game. And we saw that, especially in this series, where things like that happen and it just made the momentum in the Dodgers dugout get bigger. And the for the Braves, it was pretty much, you know, lights out. The Dodgers had a lot of contributors. The Braves had a few as well. Honestly, if the Braves win this series, Freddie Freeman's probably the MVP. He yeah. uh, nine hits, six runs. Three doubles, two home runs, six RBIs. Ozzie Albies had a pretty good series. Ozuna. Honestly, anybody who doesn't think Marcel Ozuna is an all-star or a big piece of this puzzle for the Braves, you're under a rock somewhere because he's been the most consistent guy throughout. So they had that. Danby Swanson continued on and had a, a, a solid series. Not he didn't have like he did against the Braves. I mean, the Marlins, but he did have a good solid series. The Dodgers, on the other hand, had Edwin Rios and Kike, both had two home runs. JT, six, scored six runs, so that was huge. Will Smith, seven RBIs, five hits, one home run, and a double. Max, Max struck out 11 times. He struck out the most of any of the Dodgers, but his on-base percentage was 452 because he walked nine times. He had two home runs, obviously a grand slam, seven RBIs, five hits but nine walks. And that one was a turning point for, for that game. Yeah. And we've talked about Max before being Max either walks, strikes out or hits a home run. That's what he does. And it's really evident when you look at his stat for the series, because that's exactly what he did. But he did, I did notice that he was a little more patient in the box yeah, he did strike out those 11 times, but it was that one walk in particular where he 
you know, just he just grinded it out and was able to get on base, which then allowed the classic matchup of Will Smith versus Will Smith. While those guys contributed big throughout the series, and obviously Cody's home run won game seven, there was one guy who contributed the most and got the NLCS MVP, and that'd be Corey Seager. And if you notice, we never really mentioned Mookie in any of the offensive conversations. Almost everything that we talk about is a great play in right field defensively. It was Corey Seager who led the bunch, like I said, picked up the NLCS MVP, eight runs, nine hits, two doubles, five home runs in this series. Yeah. The only other person that's hitting home runs like him will be playing against him in Randy <laughs> Orozarena. Yeah. He's the, these yeah. are the guys. I mean, he hit 310, 11 guys. He yeah. was the offensive. Everything went through him. He was the conduit this time. Yeah, he really was. We've talked about that before with Mookie. Mookie gets on base, he's the conduit. But this time, uh, Corey Seager took over that role. And you don't ever really see a lot of emotion from Corey Seager. He never really looks sweaty or kind of winded. And he was doing it all. But you did see that emotion pop up when he, you know, there were a couple home runs that he hit that got really got the team going. And I think, too, the way the dugouts are at Globe Life Field, I mean, they're all of the guys, and you don't always see this, but all of the guys were on that top railing. A lot of times, you know, you see guys in different places, but on both sides, they were all right there. And so when they were making these big plays, that was Mr. Seeger. So he was very deserving of the MVP. So the Dodgers are on their way to their third world series in four years. Of course, a lot of people are saying this is our year. We don't know yet. What we do know is, is we have a matchup of two top teams in either league, which rarely ever happens. So the world series is going to be interesting because there's going to be a lot of observations and comparisons. But I think it's going to be huge just because you have two teams that both have similarities that can either pull them down or bring home a world championship. Well, the World Series is upon us. We know who's playing, Dodgers versus the Rays, the two best records in their respective leagues. We know a lot about each team because we've been talking about them for a couple of weeks and we just talked about the things that they did. Now, when we think about the World Series, we can think one thing that a few months ago, we didn't even think there'd be a World Series. We thought that 2020 would go down in history with 1994, the strike-shortened season that had nothing. And then 1904, that was the year that uh, the New York Giants decided not to play the Boston Americans because they said, we're the champions of the only true major league. We don't have to play anybody else. We won. And so no World Series. It would have been the third time since 1901. But one is coming, and this will be the third series there in Texas at Globe Life Field for the Dodgers. 
The Rays did two in San Diego, and here they come. Who do you think has the best starting pitching? Ooh, starting pitching, I'm going to go with the Rays on this one because they have a consistent starting pitching rotation. The Dodgers don't. Uh, Dodgers have Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, and then it's up in the air after that. But with the Rays, you have Glasnow, Snell, and Morton. And I'm going to give the edge to the Rays on uh, starting pitching. I think in past seasons, I might have gone with the Dodgers. But you're right. There is Kershaw, Bueller, and then three bullpen games. Yeah, right. Whereas, like, and then the three, they have three solid starters couple of them could be number one starters on other teams. Blake Snell, I think, is their ace. So, yeah, I'd go with the pitching with the Rays as well. Uh, how do you feel about the bullpens? Ooh, the bullpens, I think I'm going to go with the Dodgers, but it's going to be really close on the bullpens. Uh, the Dodgers have veteran guys in the bullpen that have been in these situations before you know you think about joe kelly 2018 world series kenley jansen who's been doing okay of late i'm gonna give the bullpen to the dodgers but it's really close yeah i think it's a toss-up i think depending on how each side's pitching that's going to make the difference for that night some nights the the dodgers bullpen is lights out unstoppable game over and we saw the Rays have the same type of things with their bullpen. So I think it's a toss-up. I think it's going to be a night-by-night thing. And then finally, offense. Offense, I'm going to go with the Dodgers. I think just from top to bottom, they have really good hitters that are patient in the box. They wait those pitches out. They're not scared to get to an 0-2 count. Um, we've seen that happen with these guys where they'll work the count to their favor, whether it's a walk to bring up, you know, a, the next guy in line to get something going. So offensively, I'm going to go with the Dodgers. I know the Rays do have guys that can uh, provide power. Like Randy, a Rosarena has provided a lot of firepower in the championship series against the Astros. And yeah, you had, you know, uh, G-Man Choi hit a home run here, or he seemed to be the one that was the catalyst. And for the Dodgers, offensively, just from one to nine, the guys are going to get it done. I agree with you there. The Dodgers, it doesn't matter who's coming up. There is the possibility that they can drive in a run, hit a home run, whereas you don't necessarily see that even with the guys that you would expect from the Rays. A Rosarena is a rookie that's had to carry this team because other guys haven't picked. They're going to need their their standard guys to pick it up and do something. Kermeyer up, Brandon Lau, who's had a tough series. Those are guys that are going to have to really, Willie Adamas, they're going to have to make some things happen along with G-Man Choi, Yandy Diaz, if they're going to compete the Dodgers, yeah, they definitely have the, the better offense. 
before we get on and talk about uh, games one and two of the World Series, it is a day off today. Do you think the home field advantage in the sense that the Dodgers have been there for 10 games plus during the regular season, will that work in their favor? Or will it be like the Braves who came in and didn't care that they'd never played there before? Will the Rays have the same feeling when they get there and just run the Dodgers out of town? I think the Dodgers obviously have that edge where they, you know, they're going to feel more comfortable in the ballpark because they've been there for what, three weeks now. And they know the ballpark, the outfield, especially uh, guys can hit doubles and triples into those corners and you really have to know the outfield to be able to play it well. I don't know necessarily that the Dodgers, you know, that they'll come in and think that they're going to just, you know, oh, well, we've been playing here and we know because every day the game is different. And it could also maybe possibly... I mean, I don't see this happening because I think there's a different mindset on the Dodgers. But there also could be a little bit of complacency, too, whereas the Rays are coming in fresh and playing in this new ballpark. Now, the Dodgers did play in the ballpark in the regular season because they played against the Rangers. I'm going to say no. I don't think that this home field, air quotes, (laughs) around home field uh, is going to affect the Dodgers going forward. All right. And your, your feelings, who's going to win it and how many games? Uh, You know, I hate this because I am very superstitious. I know. Very superstitious riding on the wall. Uh, But I am going to, I'm going to root for the Dodgers. So I'm going to go with the Dodgers and I'm going to go with the Dodgers. I'm going to go with the Dodgers in five. Okay, Dodgers in five. You don't think the home field or the, the familiarity is going to cause the complacency. So we'll see how that works out. I'm going to go with you. I also believe the Dodgers in five. I think that they know what they got to do. I think maybe they got a little bit of a scare with the Braves. I don't think the Rays, at least not offensively, match up with the Braves, but they'll definitely keep the Dodgers on their toes. Five games with the Dodgers being victorious. The other cool thing is that no matter who wins, they will be the second team in their city to win a title within the last month, month and a half. If the Dodgers win, they join the Lakers, who just won the NBA championship. If the Rays win, they'll join the Tampa Bay Lightning, who got the Stanley Cup. So that'll be pretty interesting. And conceivably, LA has two football teams. Either one of them could go on a run, ended up in the Super Bowl and win that. Tampa Bay's got Tom Brady and Ron Gronkowski, not only playing on the field there, but uh, I believe their cutouts are in the stands there in Arlington. Yeah, I've seen them. Those two guys are like, New England was too cold, so they moved to Florida. Game one, (laughs) pitting the Dodgers and the Rays. Starters, Kershaw. Clayton was the man for the Dodgers. Tyler Glass now, or what's his name? Seth? Steph. Starting up for the Rays. It was a pretty exciting game, and it started off. Tyler Glass now, even though he never had a perfect inning, like a 1-2-3 inning, things didn't get away from him in the early. And Kershaw 
was on top of it. In fact, I believe Kershaw probably could have gone farther into the game. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, Kershaw went six innings. He had uh, two hits, one run, one earned run, one walk, eight strikeouts. He did give up a home run to Kermeyer, and that was in the fifth. Uh, and the first inning for Kershaw was rough. It, I mean, it was I didn't say rough. It, it wasn't um, sterling. Uh, but he got himself out of it, and once he got himself out of that first inning, he was smooth sailing the rest of the way. He looked really good. Four of the six innings that he pitched, he had uh, clean innings, one, two, three innings. Yep. Yeah, which is really good for him because I'm always rooting for him. He's going to be a Hall of Fame pitcher. Uh, he's a Cy Young Award winner, and but he's always had that postseason monkey on his back. And this performance threw that monkey off and really showed who uh, Clayton Kershaw is and the pitcher that he is. Um, and yeah, he did. He he was awesome. I will say with Tyler Glass now, when he started pitching and with the guys, you know, uh, the Dodgers offense, I thought, man, this is going to be this is going to be tough. This is going to be a pitcher's duel. And for a little while, it was pitched four and a third. So he faced four batters each inning in the first three. He didn't have any clean innings at all. To me, he looked a little stressed. He did give up a home run to Cody. He ended up giving up six runs total. He was responsible for guys on base when Ryan uh, Yarbrough came in. But Yarbrough allowed the inherited runners to score. So that's how he ended up giving up six runs. But he really did look pretty good, and he thought, wow, this is going to be a tough game. Pitcher's duel. But once the Dodgers got to him, and you got to remember, too, in that four and a third innings that he threw, and he did face six batters in the fifth inning, he threw 112 pitches. Yeah, I don't... Has he ever thrown that many pitches in his career? If he has, it's been in a much longer outing. Figure that's a really short outing. He completed... Four Four innings, got into the fifth, went through six, and couldn't get anybody out. Or he got one out. After that, though, they got to him. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that he had thrown that many pitches. Well, that many pitches, and they have not let him go past, I think, usually the fifth inning. He usually pitches four to five innings. So he's, you know, it was unfamiliar territory for him. And then throwing 112 pitches is a lot for any pitcher but especially in four innings and you could tell that once the Dodgers kind of broke that they broke through that's where you could see that look of uncertainty on his face like I don't know what's happening I don't know what's going on and he does have he really does have that uh, John Hughes bad boy movie type look he should be and he should have had like his uh, kind of Miami Vice looking outfit on to fit in with the 80s on the mound. He's got the hair. <laughs> yes, he does. So Josh Fleming came in after Ryan Yarbrough, who allowed uh, two runs to score, the inherited runners to score. Fleming gave up two more runs there in the bottom of six. The Dodgers, on the other hand, Kershaw had a, a pretty solid night shaky start but he held on there six innings pitched only gave up that one run which was a home run by Kiermaier Floro came in only pitched a third of an inning gave up two runs two hits and that would be where the three came from so 
the final was eight to three. Yeah, Floro again not looking sharp, but the Dodgers were able to get get right. The conduit was working last night, and that was Mookie. He's the first player since Babe Ruth to walk and steal two bases in the same inning of a World Series game. And the best part, everybody gets free tacos. Yeah, I felt kind of bad about that because CT3 was really robbed of being the taco king. Yes, he really was. To being the giver of tacos, the rainmaker, because they... The pitch that that he stole second on was ruled a wild pitch or a pass ball. Right. So that took the steal away from him. And then Mookie, who was very defensive in the LCS, he showed those chops, really came through last night, getting home on a ground ball. Ground ball hit the Yandy Diaz. He had broke early, had a good lead and, you know, great base running and just got in there. Yeah. One thing I will say with Mookie Betts is – the previous years before Mookie was on the team, you had some base, you know, some steals here or there, but nothing like we're seeing this year with uh, Mookie Betts. And also we're seeing double steals, things like that, that we'd never seen previous because they just weren't running the base pads like that. But it's like, hey, Mookie can do it. So can I. <laughs> A big play with uh, Victor Gonzalez, ball uh, hot off off a bat, Comes right back. He's able to somehow get his glove in there and catch the ball, turn around, and double up the runner on second base. Pretty sweet double play. And Kevin Cash, in his post-game interview, when asked about a couple things, base running, things like that, he said, I still don't know how he caught it. That was an incredible play. He says, like, that was just bad luck for us. But that was an incredible play, and I don't know how he caught it. Yeah, I don't know how he did it either. It almost, if you look at his face, you go back and look at it, there's some surprise there too. I mean. Surprise. And then he turns around. Or in Spanish, sorpresa. And he throws it to second. But that was a huge play for the Dodgers because the Rays were looking to add on some runs, and uh, that double play put him right out of the inning and uh, got the Dodgers back up to bat. So, yeah, that was a, a big play. Um, and just crazy to think how how he did that. And also to have the presence of mind to throw it to second. Early in the game, Corey, first three times to the plate, three walks. Left on base every time. They weren't doing anything, couldn't get anything going, it didn't seem. Then things turned around. Mookie, those two stolen bases. He had a home run in the game. Max went two for four with two RBIs. Cody had a home run and two RBIs, so I guess his shoulder is fine. Yeah, looked good. Also robbed a home run, had a really good uh, catch there. I think it would have been a home run. Yeah, it would have been. When they played it back, you could see where he was, that if he hadn't, he had to jump up a little bit, but that ball would have gone over for sure. And then CT3, two for three. And like we said, Corey walked three times, but they, they wasted that. Victor Gonzalez, Pedro Baez, and Rango, Joe Kelly, all pitched pretty well. They uh, closed them out, and they took away game one win and gave millions of Dodger fans false hope for a sweep. <laughs> I never went into this series thinking it would be a sweep because you think about – 
the Rays. They had the best record in the American League. What they were 40 and 20. And you're not, those guys aren't just going to come in and just roll over. Um, it's not going to be, I mean, the Dodgers are going to have to work for their wins. And even in game one, there were times where it's like they could have totally lost it on, you know, because of one hit or getting the guys on base. But things happened, um, like Victor Gonzalez, that double play, which really, I think, saved that inning because they had one out and it was really looking like the Rays were going to tack on some runs. It did. And and luckily, that's when you knew at, at a couple points where things turned that uh, that line drive back to Victor Gonzalez that turned into a double play, things like that. When those things are happening, you kind of know that you're probably going to make it through that game okay because they're falling your way. So let's go to Wednesday night, game two of the series. Feeling feeling pretty good as a Dodger fan that uh, they very well could at least go up 2-0. You have Tony Gonsolin starting. And from what I understand, he was supposed to be the starter, like he's going to go as long as he possibly can. And then Blake Snell, the Rays ace. For the Dodgers, that didn't completely work out the way it was supposed to. For the Rays, it worked out exactly the way they wanted it to work out. Yeah. I felt bad for Tony Gonsolin. He pitched uh, 1.1 innings. One was that one and two-thirds innings, something like that, maybe. One yeah. and a third. Oh, well, one, and, one a and a third. third, yeah. He had one hit, one run, uh, one walk, uh, had a strikeout, gave up a home run to Brandon Lau, who came into this series 6 for 56. So... That was huge for him. Here's where my conspiracy theory starts firing up. Okay. Is right before Brandon Lau comes up, Smoltz and Buck are talking about Brandon Lau and how he really needs to get on things. He's got to get something going. That they really need him to be part of this to have a chance. Yeah. And his first at bat after they talk about all that, he hits a home run. And then he comes up a little later in the game and hits another home run. And at that point you go, what's going on here? Is this part of the script? Am I watching WWF? Well, I know one thing that wasn't part of the script and it just made me laugh out loud was I'm trying to think it was a home run hit and a Dodger fan caught it. And he had a Joe Kelly shirt on that with his pouty pouty face on the front but on the back it said nice swing I'll say which of course the cameraman they don't know <laughs> that it says that and all you got from Joe Buck and John Smoltz was like oh well okay that that's nice <laughs> yeah blue shirt foul ball down the right side can't forget that that was uh, that was that there were actually there were actually two good catches because Will Smith, who hit a home run in this game, another fan out in left field, caught his ball yeah. and was so excited about it. And he was like, like shaking his arms around. He ended up throwing <laughs> his glove onto the field and Randy Arozarena 
had to pick it up and throw it back and up to him. when he threw it back he caught the glove yeah it's like and i think i think they even said he catches everything yeah and he had that like kind of matrix thing going on when he hit when he caught the glove because he'd been back you know he like went all the yeah, way back. Yeah, he fell kind of back on those chairs, but he yeah. didn't fall way back. No. Now, there was another thing that I noticed in that section as well, and when he got the ball, he was showing the ball to people, whatever, two or three rows back, whatever it was, the right. distance yeah. it was. And I don't know if you saw it, but the usher was over there going, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> Because, you know, it's the keep social distance. Don't have, you're not supposed to trade those things around, right? Right, So yeah. the usher's trying to tell him, don't do that. He's kind of in the middle going, no, no, give him back the ball. Don't take the ball. Yeah, don't touch it Do you have unless you have gloves on. And even then, don't take yeah. the ball. Yeah, don't, don't touch it. I would say for this game, we had Tony Gonsolin come in. And I like I said, I, I say this again. I feel bad for him because in the regular season, he was two for two. He had a 231 ERA. He is a starting pitcher. So I am still confused, especially with the outcome of the game. I'm still confused why he wasn't allowed to stay in at least another inning or two or give him that opportunity to pitch longer. I mean, he doesn't have to be two. It could be, you know, four innings. It's confusing to me because, like I said, he's a starting pitcher. He's been a good um, pitcher for the Dodgers. But you can see in this postseason that they've, they haven't used him. I don't think they've used him properly. He pitched in game two against the Braves, who went four and a third innings there. Uh, seven strikeouts, gave up a home run. Um, Three hits, five runs there. And then in game seven, he pitched two innings. He had two hits, two runs, gave up a home run. And in this game, you know, we talked about already his one and one-third innings. He's got a 6.75 ERA just in this short start. And you could see him in the dugout just talking to himself like, you know, what happened? What went wrong? What what, What am I doing? And I think that's a little bit demoralizing for him as a player. I agree that uh, there's been a lot of mismanagement with Gonsolin and with Dustin May. Yes. Who did end up in this game. Dylan Floro came in to relieve Gonsolin. Victor Gonzalez came in. And really, if you look at it, if the bullpen had locked down, there's a chance that the, the Dodgers at least are tied at the end of the game yep. going into Zinnings, or they could have won. But Dustin May, another one who seems to be out of sorts. He's mm-hmm. not being used as he had been. He started a lot of games throughout the playoffs. He has been used out of the bullpen more or like a opener versus a starter. So it's been strange with that. Joe Kelly came in, Gonson gave up a run. Floro did not. Gonzalez gave up a run. Then Dustin May gave up three runs, including uh, one of those was a home run. And then Joe Kelly gave up a run. Alex Wood and Jake McGee did not give up any runs. Yeah, Alex Wood, looked he looked pretty good tonight. There were a couple of little hiccups, but he, you know, pitched two innings. He had two hits, but no runs and two strikeouts. So he looked good. But with Dustin May, yeah, again, you know, you look regular season. He was 3-1 and one during the regular season with a two, uh, 
5.7 ERA. And again, it's like, okay, if you're going to say, you know, whether it's Gonsolin or May, if you tell these guys you're going to start, let them start. You know, don't pull them after an inning or bring them in when they're not. I mean, these guys are going to do whatever they have to do because they're team players. But definitely big questions on why Tony Gonsolin and Dustin May are being used the way they are. It makes makes it feel like the successes that Dave Roberts has had have been more dumb luck yeah. than actual smart moves. So that's going to be an interesting thing. Obviously, game three, which will be Friday night, so tomorrow night, we'll have Walker Bueller, and it looks like uh, Charlie Morton. Yeah. Is going to go for yeah. the race. Yeah, that was kind of a question mark. But again, we talked about earlier, you know, advantage as far as starting pitching. You have, you know, Glasnow, Snell, Morton. Those are their three guys. And that's who we're going to see on Friday night. Uh, and Charlie Morton, you know, he pitched quite a bit in the um, ALCS. It looked good um, in those games. So, but... I, yeah, like we talked about a little earlier uh, in the show, yeah. uh, how good he looked, that he was definitely the guy. From the Dodger standpoint, wherever Andrew Friedman is, they keep showing him, he's got to be going through his head going, why didn't I re-sign Hinjin Ryu or keep Kenta or even re-sign Rich Hill? Because right now it's because David Price isn't there, and who's to say David Price would have even been having a great series – but they don't have that solid. They have two starters and bullpen. Yeah, really. That that's what you have. And yeah, I was gonna bring up David Price because yeah, we don't know what if he had opted in, we don't know what kind of season he would have had. But you would have had that third starter. And I heard, I think he was on uh, one of the radio stations in LA, probably five seventy, uh, which is a Dodger station. And he said one of the reasons he didn't opt in was because of these young pitchers. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe at the time, because he said, well, I watched him in spring training and was maybe he was feeling a little bit old. I don't know. <laughs> but now we have two starters and a bullpen, and we just don't know who's going to be where. Um, and how it's what the outcome's going to be. It's definitely going to put more stress on the offense. Yes. Which they can handle it. But once again tonight, they were quiet too long. Yeah. And they never got it going enough. Yeah, they weren't as consistent. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, but they're going to be actually facing another good pitcher tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, they've most of them, I think, have faced Charlie Morton. But I don't know that that matters because it's been a while. <laughs> they haven't seen him. And so one of the things about last night's game is Mookie Betts 0 for 3. When Mookie gets on base, doesn't happen all the time, but probably the majority of the time, when he gets on base, he gets things started for the team. Um, Corey Seager hit a home run. 
CT3, uh, Chris Taylor hit a home run. But Mookie, he was quiet. Struck out. Uh, Will Smith struck out twice. I mean, he hit a home run, but he struck out twice. And you're not, you don't see that. But he he contributed more than Mookie did. Yeah, exactly. And they just weren't offensively from game one to game two, stark difference in what was happening. I mean, you they had the long ball plant going, but that wasn't enough. They needed small ball too. Yeah, they absolutely did. And that was the problem tonight. And that's what I was alluding to with that they've given their fans false hope. Tuesday night, they look like a championship team. Last night, they look like a team that is just happy to be there. They're going to play their best and hopefully they can win. Yeah. And I mean, going back, you look at Blake Snell, four and two thirds innings. He had nine strikeouts. He did give up the home run to Chris Taylor. And then Castillo came in, Diego Castillo. He faced one batter and that was Chris Taylor and he struck him out. Right. He closed out the game. They just weren't able to get past the pitching. The, the Rays pitching was better tonight because of Blake Snell's start. Yeah, I think it, that has a lot to do with it. And again, with Brandon Lau, with his home run in the first inning, there's you get that first run. And I mentioned it earlier. You get that first run. It doesn't mean you're going to go on to win the game, but it gives the team momentum from the very beginning when you get on the board first. And obviously, Brandon Lau along with the help of Joe Buck and John Smoltz <laughs> help the Rays tonight uh, get on the get on the board. All right, so we're tied up in the series one to one. Everything fires back up on Friday night. Not sure why that I really wish they would have done the seven straight games. When we were talking about what we thought about that, you had said, well, you know, there is a debate on Thursday. And I thought, yeah, I forgot about that. But then I realized nobody's gonna watch the debate. No. They're going to be watching Thursday night football. (laughs) That's true. You know, I was thinking the same thing. And this is probably because we've seen two games now. And I thought, yeah, they just need to play through. But for the Dodgers, for the bullpen, this day off is going to be good. I think it's going to be good. Yeah, they need it. And that'll do it for this week's Sibling Rivalry Baseball Podcast. Remember, you can find us on our website, SiblingRivalryBB.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at SiblingRivalryBB. We're also on Twitter at SiblingRivalryBB without the A. Email us, show at SiblingRivalryBB.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to our podcast. Next week on Sibling Rivalry Baseball, one team will hoist the World Series trophy. Or they'll raise the COVID-19 hunk of metal. Yeah!